Banter with the Irish, your weekly podcast for the banter, music and crack with guests from all over Ireland and of course, not forgetting myself, your presenter, Margaret McHugh. Welcome along to Banter with the Irish with myself, Margaret McHugh. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. In this week's episode, I am joined by Willie Daly, Ireland's oldest matchmaker from County Clare. Before we talk to Willie... I would like to play a song to get you in the mood to hear all about matchmaking and listing Verna. Of course, this song is from Olivia Douglas and it's called I'm Off to Listing Verna. Well, the lifestyle that I'm living shall love never got a chance. Old folks tell me I should head to Clare, that's where I'll find romance. to the show i am joined on the line by willie daly ireland's only matchmaker willie welcome along to the show this morning thanks margaret willie talk to me about growing up in county clare let our listeners know a little bit about your life who were your parents and when were you first introduced to the matchmaking tradition well margaret i suppose i really inherited 
the matchmaking, you know, my father had a certain amount done and my grandfather maybe a bit more. Now, you know, so came to kind of my turn then to do it. And I had witnessed a lot of the people coming to my house, at our house, you know, my family home. You know, it could be often, indeed, it would be a mother with a son. The mothers would normally come with sons, if it was the daughter, the father would be somewhat involved. The mother would be very adamant. It would be very important for her that the son would marry. And, I mean, a lot of it would be down to health. When I was young, we'd say, here on a farm, we lived just back from La Hinch, we'd say, we eventually did a horse riding test, now we have a donkey farm and cows. But um, I'd be going along the road driving cows, and this old woman, she had 23 children that lived in the house not far away. You know, I used to give them lifts into town, I'd know then I'd bring all the other people on the road with me, bring them lifts to the creamery, and I was delighted to be able to do that. Made me feel good as much as helped him a bit. So, I'd be driving cows, driving cattle, and they'd be going over the wall. That time there wasn't such a thing as electric fence. And I'd be chasing them around. And Minnie was her name. She was lovely. And she said, Willie, why don't you get married when you have help? You'll have help throwing the cows. It's in the latter years I realized how right she was. And I did matter, you know, that you would have helped, especially on a farm. And a farm, I suppose, is one of the wonderful things of life. Farmers are very important, and family farms are very important. You know, I think that it hasn't changed, Margaret. It's still very relevant that persons should get married. And I suppose while I'm speaking, you know, there isn't such a thing as an age. It's always good to marry young. If there's an old saying, you know, you're never too old to feel young. There isn't such a thing as I'm too old to find love. I'm too old to find someone that I'd like to share with and someone that I'd like to be able to make my life more nicer, you know. Mm-hmm. And loneliness has to be a huge enemy. While it's often the first year to the rural island, but loneliness and difficult, anything may be worse. In a city, you'd be awful lucky if you do know your neighbor. Well, my parents, you know, came from Dublin. My father had lived in Dublin for a while, and they came back down and took over the farm. He had a little business in Dublin. First, he worked as a cooper. Then he had a little accommodation place in Lower Bagot He was interested in the greyhound track as well, and uh, going to the dogs. You know, he would say you could stay with him in Dublin. There had be only a very limited amount of people that could afford to go to Dublin. Do you think money played a factor into arranged marriages? Was money part of the reason people got together. Well, in in the matchmaking of that period, you know, there was such a thing as, um, you know, the, the, the dowry. The dowry was very visual. And when I talked earlier about a woman coming with her son, you know, she'd come to um, knock on the house. We had a little old 17th century house on the farm, which is still lovely. And we didn't have electricity, water, or anything. Like, my father coming from Dublin, he brought a wet and dry battery. So we'd be listening to the battery in a room which was called a parlour, which wouldn't be commonly used back then. Now they're called sitting home. It's people kind of dwell more on, which is probably a good idea, you know. Mm. When anyone had come, a woman had come and knock on the door and said, Is your father in? And he was fairly old enough, my father. And sometimes we were tempted to know. <laughs> but we'd be kind of afraid to tell a lie because we'd have to leave the parlour on the radio. We'd be listening to looks of us. And she'd come in and then she'd say, what kind of women have you? And the next question then would be, have they a bit of money or what have they going with them? That would be interpretation of the dowry. Okay. So the dowry would, it could be anything. Mm. But um, the dowry then would be, if it was, would say money. And mainly speaking, money would come from America. If there were money in many cases, it's 
talk about it, the matchmaker, as a representative of the bride, maybe her uncle, her cousin. And um, sometimes what was very good to get with a bride would be nice to have that big as well. It mean that she'd be bringing food into the house. She wouldn't be coming in empty-handed into the house. And um, it was, of course, it's quietly thought, and it existed not as much as nowadays, because not everyone got educated. But um, So that dowry would be divided into four, five, three, maybe divisions. The, the little woman coming in would have the house would be kind of whole home. Okay. Now, our biggest thing to deal with then might be the mother, while the mother would adamantly um, be anxious for Michael to get married or Paddy or John or, or Tom. You know, and when she'd meet the little girl that would be supposed to be the, um, the bride to be and you know, she'd rub her hair, oh my god, you're such a gorgeous girl. Michael Michael, I'm too lucky to get that girl. Look at that girl, God almighty, you're beautiful. Look at the beautiful blue eyes you have. You know, she would really praise that woman. Following day after the, the girl was married and when they were back after their wedding and let's, let's call it a honeymoon, um, you know, I come into the kitchen that she would be a totally different woman. So all of a sudden there'd be a new woman in the kitchen and there's no there more than one woman in the kitchen is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> The fight would start. All of a sudden, the old woman would be kind of old, previous to that, maybe, and, you know, getting older, and um, ah, she'd be kind of giving up a little bit, like, you know, a small bit. All on morning, she'd be up early, and she'd start banging pots off the range, not the kitchen. You know, she'd be out banging pots all the day, like, you know, in other words, this is my territory, whereas previous year or three, three years, she might be gone on a lot lesser. Mm. You know, energy. What was very difficult for the new woman, and a, a new woman that has to be very prudent to be able to manage it. And the, somewhere in as the sixties, mid sixties, there was such a thing as a little granny flat put into a house, and that was ideal. And that was really, it's possibly working in some cases today, you know, you know, and I think it's more ideal than what they do now where they're going to build a new house. That's how the granny would come in if the buying girl started going out, um, which they did late 60s and 70s. First, the men would go out on their, their own forever in Ireland, you know, and the woman would be inside minding the house. It was a wonderful simplicity, and of course, it was her house, you know, the roof over her head, and her whole interest would be, um, uh, you know, the whole interest would be kind of uh, have a family. She would have a feeling of love that a lot of people would never be aware of. Mm. You know, if you take a woman with eight, nineteen, or twelve children, that is really a house of love. The love between a mother and her children. And I think to this day, which is nice, that uh, young people, especially men, I find young men, recently a young man said to me, he said, Willie, I'm getting married. And I said, um, that's very nice. He was about 28. And um, I said, God, that's fantastic. I said, I'm delighted for you. Now, that's a great idea. Not to get married and settle down. Well, he says, um, there was eight of us in the family. He says, my mother and father and six of us. He says, and we had a lovely time and we had a very happy home and I want some of that. He said, that's just excellent. So I was so thrilled that a young person could think like that. There isn't anything, a career isn't a bad thing. Of course, career is good, but it is no compensation for, for a happy home and, and the laughter and the fullness of children. You know, it wouldn't have any compensation, especially long term. Did you? No, when you were younger, you were going to go into the matchmaking trade, or had you any ideas of what you wanted to do in your life? Well, I suppose I'm going to be honest with you, Margaret, that I 
possibly never give it much thought for quite a while. I missed and blackguarded a bit with matchmaking from about 14 or 15 on as my, some of my older daughter played it at school. And I kept away from it mainly because actually seeing these people come into our house and taking up so much time. But eventually my father had got older and he had stopped. So I kind of was pushed into it really and that I did it then at my way. Sounds like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And I started the different ways. And when I started in Liston Van, a lovely woman, you cycle from in us about 20 miles with holy leaflets for the men. And when you know when she'd be giving to them, and she was helpful. And I was saying, no, you know, it was a bit newer set up in an office. Then people were off the shy, and the door was in a so eventually after the second year, we decided to take down the door in the matchmaker office. And people would come in in very reluctantly. But it worked well having the door down, and that's how it still is. But 20 come in sometimes instead of one, and all you have to do is point fingers at this one. And they do it themselves. They actually tell you in their eyes who they like. All year round, we do matchmaking here at my house, and we get phone calls and emails. And I, I have felt, now I'm not a teenager, but I feel that I'm very lucky to be able to do this. And this is a difficult process, you know. I meet ever such nice people, you know, that are lonely, they want to meet someone, why not? People deserve to be happy. Anyone that's born into the world are very lucky, you know, you're a very lucky person if you're born into this world and come up in a lovely home environment. There's a new trend of very young people getting married. And there's a great trend at the moment, Margaret, of older people not afraid to go out, look for love, look for happiness, look for someone that they can in time with talk to. You know, be friends with four places together rather than being stuck in your home. I do say to people that there is people for people. And the one thing that may not happen is, so, you know, if you stay at home in your house and lock yourself up, you'd probably be very lucky if, if, you know, as a man or a woman, if someone breaks down the door to get in. I mean, you have to get out, make a little effort. Don't be afraid to be happy. How old is matchmaking and how old is the matchmaking festival in this environment? Uh, the festival is probably, I see, around 165, 6 or 7 years old going, you know. And it is a magical festival, you know. I don't like praising it, but it's just magical. And the magic is the people that come, the people that want a lot of fun. They're lucky at the present time, and I hope it continues this, that the dancing staff will have 11 every morning, up about 3, I think, in the beginning, and then there's a break from 3 to 4, and then there's a tea dance. And that's for talking two or three days each year. Now, when I go up and I've lived here all my life, I go in at half 12 into the rack barn or the rick, and there's maybe a couple of hundred people out dancing on the floor in the middle of the day and the sunshine anywhere in the world, they couldn't find it. And these people, they just, a lot, a lot come for dancing, a lot come to meet friends, have a right good laugh with their friends that they met the previous years, and a good percentage now will come quietly are not so quietly um, looking to find a partner to get married. It's a wonderful opportunity of people to meet people. So, you know, as I said, my, myself and my, some of my family, we match make the whole year round. And when the festival is over, it gives us, I don't like using the word ammunition to work with. There's lots of fellas, lots of girls, and all files, you know, they want to meet someone. And they're just beautiful people. I mean, you could travel the world. Address, you know, you could travel the world and it's a big world, but you won't meet nicer people than Irish people. 
what Irish people have that a lot of parts of the world have lost is they have nature. And it's fantastic and I'd be very possessive of Ireland, I suppose, and of Irish people. But there is an influx at the festival of American people who come, American women. That's the amount of English women, it's their amount of um, German people come in and women. But an awful lot of lovely, nice enough to American people come and they have Irish connections and that have listened to their parents in America and indeed in London and tell them, listen to them telling them stories about Ireland, about ghosts and fairies and banshees and, and they're intrigued by it and they're coming across Ireland is useful. Talk to me about how you match make, what's the criteria, what's the process? Okay, Margaret, um, there isn't any golden rule. But I hate to say it now, and it almost sounds like strange, but they're kind of a gift. You know, I don't know until I see the people, meet the people, or hear of them and talk to them. And in matchmaking, you know, everybody's got a mind, a body, and a soul. And really, for a good match, you have to get the feel, have to kick in together. Initially, it's often good initially. You know, where if I was finding a partner for a girl, we'd say, and she'd see the man coming to us, but she said, Jesus, that's the man I want in the rest of my life. You know, that is what I would call an ideal um, match. And that is often, for me, I suppose, you know, having watched earlier matchmaking with my father and things, so other things mattered a lot. And men were often very old and women young. But I think the physical attraction isn't often from my point. Of course, people do vary. And love roles develop in so many different ways and lines and all. When I see people, I ask, my mind automatically goes to work to who chose who and who chose who. And sometimes I have a lot of different things, you know, that I've done in my early years. I did auction selling every kind of stuff. I know. You talked about the listing bar in a matchmaking festival. How long does that go on and when does it start every year? Well, it starts every year approximately the last weekend of August. And it's kind of five weekends down to about 33, 34 days. There are great houses of the Imperial Hotel. There's a matchmaker bar there. And that's a great bar for youngish people. You have the rat ponds in a lovely crowd. There are being the Irish Islands and the roadhead and the rice and the hydro. That's just, I call it a one minute town. But they're big vineyards and they can cater for a lot of people. And, you know, when it's over, people are so lonely leaving the final Monday. And the final Tuesday, they try to go down again for another 12 months almost. And it has been like that, but so much goes on, so much great possibility. And that's one of the things, it's such a fantastic world of people, full of people, you know. For anyone who would think at all, you know, God, wouldn't it be lovely to have someone with me in the house or some company that I'd need to go out to dance or go to maybe have a, go out to have a social drink or things like that. But all that is there. You'll be lucky if you're a man of 65 or 70 or a woman of 65 or 70. You'll be kind of lucky enough that people break in your door to get into you. You talked about companionship, Willie, and you talked about the role of a mother back then. Do you still see now in modern Ireland the role of a mother in some relationships? I think it's indirectly very relevant. Everybody wants to have all forms of happiness with their, you know, rather than, um, you know, maybe don't like me or Peggy don't like me, an aunt or an uncle or anything. It's just, if you have it all going, it's a really, really added bonus to everything as it was in the past. 
I think it's, it's very relevant for the young couples. And then you had the story of, you know, the lovely story of, um, where again mothers would be very adamant about the sunset marriage. So this was the story of Mary. Anyway, you know, she'd be maybe four or five, getting older, and Jerry was maybe six, 54, 65, and she said, come on, come on, you have to try and get married. So, did anyone I asked? She said, I don't, I, I'm not very good around that. She said, I'm no good. I said, so she mentioned the girl. She said, I was up. She said, I was talking to her. We said, the lady sister. I'm back from England for Christmas, but I go up and talk to them. And I didn't agree. She said, yeah, yeah, I don't like London. She said, I, I just love to get married and be a Roman Ireland. So, she came back anyway with the mother and she was delighted. And she said to, she told Jerry, and Jerry was happy, he was delighted as well. So Jerry that evening went into town to celebrate with his friend. You know, and he said, that woman who really wanted to marry, he said, she's been half, out with half, but half the fellows in the town. And the mother said, look, and she said, if she's good enough for half the town, she's good enough for you. She said, <laughs> <laughs> so it nearly comes down to the reason, there's, there's almost no change in, in everything that has transpired. Only there's a lot of extra words involved now. You know, people are using the extra vocabulary and, you know, that word absolutely has crept into everything earlier. There's a lot of big words, which is nice as well, you know. The reality of it, a lot of it matters is still, which is lovely. The people want someone to share their life. They want someone that they can talk to, have a laugh. Because the laughter is a fantastic thing. Someone you can joke with. And someone that you can be relaxed with and kind of be yourself. And you find a partner. You know, the partner shouldn't be intrusive enough to want to change it to what they'd like to. Maybe there isn't anything wrong with side change, you know. But in general, if you can be yourself with your partner that you're looking for, find someone that you're relaxed with and be happy with. And as I said, there is no one that doesn't deserve that in life. And there's very few in my life now, so, I mean, I'm doing this over 50 years. I don't think I've met a wrong person. I've met people with different ideas or... Mm. You know, and with sometimes, you know, considerably different ideas. What do you think of online dating apps? Do you think they have the same effect as um, traditional matchmaking? Well, I suppose uh, what I have said is a few times, uh, Margaret, that um, I think dating sites are preoccupying. They're possibly well and truly well into the same category as. Um, Facebook, you know, you know, there's okay people can be full of enthusiasm, but I think that they see people, they meet people, and they talk to people. And I think they have wonderful conversations and very quick, you know, and, and then people say the next thing, bang, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So I suppose they turn another page in the catalog or whatever way it works, and that somebody else there becomes interesting as well. So I think that would be one of the little things. The other thing is, I suppose, you know, that the traditional style matchmaking, you know, you can reach out and touch that person, you can see them, you can take them for a dance or for a test for a look into their eyes and maybe fall in love that first, that very moment, it could be that moment of love, maybe only it might be a half, less than a half a minute and you're in love. It is very common. And that's a great thing as well. Yeah. So you can touch the person if you can love the girl, you can you know, you can touch her and it's real fresh. And if you have a dance, you can roll to the floor for a while, but there are around for them. 
have a laugh and a joke. So that's kind of goal. So I'm sure with the date and place that the task of a goal and even, you know, getting married is very important. Sharing is very important and being able to share. When the end of the day comes, the only thing people have is what they give away. You know, and anything you give, you're going to get back in trouble for it. Willie, you talked about older men and older women and you get letters from England, America and further afield. What has been the uh, biggest age gap you have matched in partners? A long time ago, I suppose a good while ago and I was with, um, a girl, I suppose she was 28 and um, it seemed awful young now. I mean, I've matched many people younger than that but this case anyway, she'd probably be maybe 25, 6, 28. And uh, she rang me, and, it, and um, so she said she'd like to meet someone very quite girl. That kind of phone's long gone for good, so I got that fellow had contact, and um, I talked to him anyway, and we had arranged to meet. And um, we went in, and she had a photo of him. She had a photo of a kind of a tallish, dark young lad in a football outfit, you know. And we arrived in the pub, we were probably about one hour late. So I went up and got a drink, and... Um, just past there was a woman in the bar and um, there was an old man at the bar and there was a woman sitting down along the side with two, one or two small children and ourselves. So I just said, did you see any other backyard man here? And she said, well, since we opened, this is all that's been here. The next thing I knew was the old man with the white hair comes down to our table and he said, you will be there. I said, I'm John Feely. So the little girl looked up anyway and of course she got an awful shock. She was drinking a brandy, a lovely girl, and um, she left the drink down, bag was on the table, got her bag and walked out the door. But he sat down, I said, John, I said, but also was very deceptive, I said. Mm. They got married about a year later, so had a beautiful child, and he died sometime the following year. But I mean, it was, it was, it was interesting that, and of course, many times, all right, since I get loads of people, but no you don't get the old and the young much anymore. In relation to some of the matches, how many of those have worked out and how many have failed? I'd say that um, match-made matches, you could nearly say uh, about 95% would have been successful. You know, but yeah. somewhere like that and almost, you know, if I were to look back, it almost nailed in the not success. It's been lovely talking to you. Just before I let you go, can you give out your um, website details if somebody's listening in and wants to get in touch? And yeah, that's so nice of you. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, the website is um, willydaily at yahoo.ie. And if people want to contact you, is there a number they can contact you on? The website is, uh, I think, uh, kind of one word, willydaily. Okay. W-I-L-L-I-E-D-A-Y at yahoo.ie and my telephone is this number now 087-671-2155 and lots of people write the Willie Daily List Environment County Clare Willie Daily List Environment County Clare if I keep talking to you I could find myself in a arranged marriage well you're, you're, you're lovely Margaret I can tell by your softness and so you're a lovely girl I can tell that Oh, thanks very much. You could be married lots of times if you're, if you're not careful. <laughs> Back to Banter with the Irish podcast with myself, Margaret McHugh. I'd like to thank Mr. Willie Daly from County Clare, Ireland's oldest matchmaker, for coming on the show today and sharing 
his tales of matchmaking in Ireland. Apologies if you could not hear some of the conversation as unfortunately the line wasn't very good. But for what you heard, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and got a laugh out of some of his stories. I'll be back again with you next week for episode 3 of Banter with the Irish. Until then, Slán Gafol August Bannacht, and I will leave you with, of course, the song Listun Varna from Christy Moore and his album On the Road again. So enjoy and take care. This song was written for the Eurovision in 1978. Oh, How's it going there, everybody from Cork, New York, Dundalker to Harkins and Amadi? Here we are in the County Clare. It's a long, long way from here to there. There's the Burren, there's the Cliffs of Moor, there's the Tulla, there's the Kilfenor, there's Michael Russell, Dr. Bill, Willie Clancy, and Noel Hill, and flutes and fiddles everywhere of its music you want. Up to Lily Whites! Well, oh, Liston Barna! Liston, 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 Liston Barna! I normally leave on Thursday night with my tent and ground shoes rolled up tight because I, I like to get into Liston in around Friday afternoon because this gives me time to get my tent up and get my gear together and I don't need to worry about the weather, you know, but just ramble in for a pint of stout, you never know who'd be hanging about. There's a Dutchman playing the mandolin, a German looking for a Liam O'Flynn and there's Adam and Bono and Larry and the Edge getting the photo taken with Naomi. Finbar, Charlie and Jim Hand and the drinking pints to bed about Why wouldn't they? They're getting it for nothing. Oh, tell you. Anyway. They flocked in throngs to hear the music and the songs. Motorbikes and high ace vans, bottles, barrels, flagons, cans, there's mighty crack and lots of frolics and pioneers and alcoholics and black and spook and the FCA and free Nicky Kelly and the IRA and hairy chests and milk white ties and Mickey Dodgers in disguise and McGrath's, O'Brien's, Pippin's, Cox's, massage parlors and horse boxes and the BBC are making tapes and taking breaks and throwing shapes. There's Aurons and Baurons and Amadons and hairy freaks and Arab Sheiks and Hindu Sikhs and Jesus freaks and this is heaven, this is hell. Who cares? Who can tell? And anyone for the last few chuck eyes is now. Banter with the Irish, your weekly podcast for the banter, music and crack with guests from all over Ireland and of course, not forgetting myself, your presenter, Margaret McHugh.